Let's open up and we'll uh, open up in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for just the opportunity to come together as the body of Christ tonight. And Lord, we just pray that you would um, minister your grace through your word. And as we look at Ecclesiastes, uh, beginning of chapter 4, Lord, sometimes our our lives are filled with uh, unpleasant events, tragedies, you might say, and and he speaks about that in in this section. And Lord, we just pray that tonight that you would uh, just solidify our minds and our hearts around your word and edify us and um, unite us as, as one body in Christ. We thank you for everybody that's here. Thank you. Pray for those who couldn't make it tonight. Pray that you watch over them. Keep them safe wherever they may be. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When it comes to... Uh, life's tragedies, um, we all have a different scale that we judge these tragedies by. And uh, I heard an illustration this past week of a pastor who, more than anything else in life, he loved golf. Absolutely loved golf. And he'd usually play at least one, two rounds a week. But his uh, schedule became very busy. He was helping out another church preach and counseling and whatnot. And one week slipped by without a trip to the golf course, and he thought he was going to lose his mind. The second week went by, still couldn't get out to the golf course. He thought definitely he was going to lose his mind. Third week came, and he finally made a decision. It was a decision he thought he would never even consider doing before. But he made a plan. Sunday morning was the only time outside of preaching, that he could get away. So he decided to call the chairman of the board Sunday morning and call in sick. And then go to a town about 50 miles away, lined up a round of golf, and thought, hey, you know, I've never done this before. I'm sure people, you know, understand, whatever. I just need to play this round of golf. He gets to the, uh, the, the, that morning, he calls the chairman of the board, explains that he's sick, he won't be able to preach but I've lined up somebody to come and fill, my, fill the pulpit, so they were fine. And then he apologized to God. He loaded up his clubs, and he drove 50 miles to this other town to the golf course. And he is uh, there at the golf course. He gets everything out on the green. And after uh, getting to the warming up a little bit, he gets to, to the first tee, the first hole there, and an angel looks down from heaven and says to God, just aghast at what he's doing. Look at this. this is a preacher, a pastor of your word on Sunday morning here playing golf when he should be preaching the word of God. How terrible is this, God? Strike him dead. Well, God was so upset that as the preacher made his way to the third hole, the Lord created a gust of wind <clears throat> that after he teed off, carried his ball all the way to the flag and put it right in the hole. You know where I'm going with this, right? (laughs) And the angel in heaven stood there completely puzzled and asked, Lord, why did you do that? What is that kind of, what kind of punishment is that? And God said, well, think about this for a moment. That's the first hole in one this preacher has ever made. And who can he tell about it? 
<laughs> Nobody. <laughs> um, you know, you can imagine being in that situation and being frustrated. Well, that's, you know, that's kind of a lighthearted view of the tragedies of life. But tonight, as we look at living with life's tragedies, I just want to read our text for us. And it's just the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet uh, been born and has not yet seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all the toil and all the skill and work that came from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. Verse 5, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness with than two handful of toil and a striving after the wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So he, asks, so he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. There's a lot of frustrations that can get us upset in this world. There's a lot of tragedies. There's a lot of misfortunes that people face throughout, throughout life. But there's three things here that I see in the first eight verses. First of all, there's a lack of comfort, and then a lack of contentment, and a lack of companionship. So let's look at the first one, a lack of comfort, verses 1 to 3. He says there again, I saw all the oppress, oppressions that are done. And then he also, the second verse, or the second line there says, he saw all the tears of the oppressed. So he's looking at it from both sides. He looks at the extent of the problem. He shows not only those who are oppressed, the people who obviously are, are being taken advantage of or whatever, uh, they're filled with tears. But also he's speaking of those who are doing the oppressing, those who are have the upper hand, those who are exuding power, you might say. And, and his conclusion is whether you're on the top or the bottom, the end result is the same. It doesn't matter. There's, he says there's no comfort for either one of them. Um, and that's what he does throughout this book. He takes two far extreme examples and goes, okay, what's really the difference between these? Um, last week, we looked briefly at the end of chapter uh, 3 there. And he, he, he basically drew out the same, same conclusions. You know, he was looking at two extremes. And he's saying, wow, okay, there's no difference here really. Uh, turn over to the book of, of Lamentations. Lamentations, right after Jeremiah there, to the right. <clears throat> Lamentations was written by the weeping prophet Jeremiah, and it's a it's 
in the, in the Hebrew Bible, it's actually part of the book of Jeremiah. It's the end of Jeremiah. They combine those two. Uh, but in our English Bibles, we separate it. And so it's this weeping prophet, and he's crying over the situation that he sees in his day. Uh, he's living in a society that, where people just have gone crazy with sin. They've gone crazy with idolatry. They have no place for God. And so God tells his prophet Jeremiah that he's going to take care of this. He's going to destroy uh, this whole place, destroy uh, Jerusalem. And he's going to bring Babylon as a result to do it. And he's going to level the place as a result of their sin. And after, you know, hearing God say this, uh, this prophet, he writes 52 chapters in Jeremiah dealing with the coming destruction. And even some of the things that go on to our day today, because he was a, a, a prophet. And sometimes in prophecy, a prophet will, in one sentence, have something that pertains immediately that's going to happen. But then maybe in the second part of that sentence, that part of the prophecy won't come true till thousands of years later. So you, you have to kind of understand uh, what, what prophecy is dealing with whenever you look at a, a prophecy in the Bible. But at the conclusion of Jeremiah, there's this section in the Hebrew Bible called the, the weepings or the laments of the prophet, seeing his people, God's people, under, coming under the judgment of God. And so the, the prophet sees these people who have basically decided to do things their own way, to live it up, to set God's rule, to set God's word aside and say, you know what, we're just going to dive in. Uh, sin is going to dominate our lives. We're going to f- be filled with immorality, idolatry, materialism, all those things. That's what they were pursuing. And so when you look at Lamentations chapter 1, Look at verses 1 and 2. This is speaking of those who have been oppressed. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who was great among the nations. This is after the the judgment of God fell. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none, look at that word, to comfort her. All of her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. There's a lack of comfort here, clearly. Um, This was true of that city, and it's often true in our own lives. Have you ever been to a point where you just need some comfort? You just need a kind word, and you don't find it. You don't sense it. When we go through hard trials, sometimes that's what happens. And that's what was happening here. Look down at verse 9. She said, he says here, Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought for her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. And then what's it say? She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Verse 16 For these things I weep, my eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me. One to receive my spirit, my children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Verse 17, Zion stretches out her hands, but there is what? None to comfort her. The Lord has commanded 
against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. Verse 21, and you can go on and on throughout the whole book of Lamentations, but we're just going to finish with this one. Verse 21 of chapter 1, they heard my groaning, yet there was no comfort to me. Sometimes in life, there's a lack of comfort. And that's what, that's what uh, Solomon is kind of pointing out to us back in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Sometimes there are what may seem tragedies or injustices in, in our lives, and yet God obviously has a purpose for these things. Uh, God has a, a plan. You think of the book of Job, Job 35, verses 9 to 12. Uh, you know, whether it's those who are shedding tears or those who have the power that are causing the tears to be shed, what, what Solomon is concluding is the experience is the same for both of them. You know, sometimes we think people who have all this power and all this money and the house up on the hill and drive the nice car and powerful, we think, boy, their life must just be a cakewalk. When really it's just the opposite. Just the opposite. I mean, the more you have, the more you have to fret about. I spoke to a guy, a CEO of a security company, an internet security company. Um, Bug Crowd was the name of it. And a real nice Indian man. I picked him up, and he was late, <laughs> waiting at his house at 5.15. He's still not coming out. Finally, he runs out, and I'm thinking, maybe I'm at the wrong house because he was kind of running right at my car. And uh, he, uh, I had the window down, and I said, hey, are you Anish? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. I set my alarm for 5 p.m. instead of 5 a.m. <laughs> Can you give me 10 minutes to shower? I said, sure, go ahead. So we had a good talk on the way to the airport. Uh, about what he does and, and all that and and it was it was so interesting because he was he was talking about um, the company and he's talking about how um, you know he we, he asked me what I did and I told him and he said it's interesting because we may be looking for someone to hire that's a pastor I'm like for your company I mean what, what in the world I mean like for you mean motivational stuff he's like no 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 somebody that could build community now obviously his understanding of what a pastor was and then mine are two different things right and i said well you know i'll give you my card maybe i can think of someone but uh, i don't think i'd be interested and he goes well we need somebody to come and, and help all these hackers that we hire because usually hackers are people that um do harm to people through their hacking and and it's our goal to bring them onto our company so they can create good and we're trying to build a community with these people. We need somebody that's gifted. <laughs> so it was a very interesting conversation. But he went on to tell me how, you know, I was asking him about Internet security. Well, what's the best one for your computer and all this kind of stuff? And, and so he was sharing me some things. And he goes, now, you know, well, I use this. He goes, now, I'm not going to tell you what else I use in my house. Uh, I, I'll just say this. I got cameras everywhere. I got, and I could tell he was sincerely fearful for what might happen to his house when he's away. You know, he had a very high security at his house. And, you know, here's a guy that's got probably a, a ton of money, a beautiful house up in Belmont, see the whole bay. But, you know, he's worrying about stuff. And so sometimes, just because people have all this stuff, it doesn't mean that they don't have worries, even of the people maybe they're oppressing or, or those who are oppressed. But in, in Job 35, um, uh, chapter nine, or verses 9 to 12, it talks about 
oppressions, of the oppressions of the people. It says, because of the multitude of the oppressions, people cry out. They call for help because of the arm of the mighty. But none says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? Who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of the heavens? There they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. So even sometimes when people who are oppressing others get to the point where they have some questions and they're going to cry out, their pride stands in the way. And uh, Solomon wants us to understand that. Even in Psalm, uh, Psalm 69, verse 20, it says, Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity. And the psalmist says, but there was none. No one would have pity on him. And he says, and I looked for comforters, but I found none. You know, this is a very real uh, issue, even in our society today. There's a lot of people that are, are right there. They're crying out. Um, they, they feel like their hearts are broken. They're in despair. And they don't feel like anyone's offering them any kind of comfort. Or Psalm 119, verse 134 to 136. It says, Redeem me from man's oppression, the psalmist says, that I may keep your precepts, make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. And so he feels that man's oppression is on them. And sometimes in our society, we can feel that oppression bearing down on us day by day, and sometimes we throw our hands up and we go, man, God, when are you going to do something about this? What's going on here? And so you have those who are oppressed. Well, the second group here is those who are the oppressors. <laughs> and, and God doesn't make light of that either. Um, there's a lot of places that speak of the oppressors, those who are exuding in power and pride and, and making those who are oppressed uh, shed tears. But just a couple verses here to read. Proverbs 14.31 says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. It's hard to believe there's people out there who oppress someone who's down on their luck. You know, it's one thing not to help someone, but can you imagine oppressing someone that's in that kind of state? Uh, and you see it. I mean, you've seen probably videos of it, you know, where... They'll beat up a homeless person. I mean, what are they thinking? Why? Um, or Proverbs twenty-two sixteen says, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth. Think how greedy you have to be to be wealthy because it doesn't say that that person's a poor person. It says they're increasing their own wealth. So they must have some wealth, but you're going to take advantage of a poor person who literally has nothing maybe but the clothes on their back. How greedy do you have to be to say, you know what, I want his shirt? But it says, or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. And so it's, it's important that we realize that this is something that's even affecting our society today. Proverbs 28.16 says, a, a ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor. But he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. And so the Proverbs do the similar things, obviously, that Solomon does. Uh, he'll draw those two contrasts. And he'll say this versus that. And even when people offer what they think is comfort, sometimes there is no comfort to the soul. 
If you, you think of, um, you know, the, the book of, of Job, and you think of Job's situation, you know, and this is kind of gets back into it here in verses 2 and 3, where he really talks about evaluating this pro, uh, this, the, the problem here. He says, and I thought the dead who were already dead are more fortunate than those who are living. Can you imagine being at that point to where you think it'd be better to be dead than to be living? But yet that's what Solomon is assessing. He's looking at the life of people. He's looking at society and he's going, man, I'm concluding that I wish I had never been born. And Solomon proposed that it's better to die or at least never exist than to live in a world where there's no comfort for your soul, where no one's willing to have pity on you, where no one's willing to help you. Um, And yet today, it's almost, that's kind of where we live. You know, those of you in the business world, you know, I mean, you're constantly probably looking over your shoulder. You know, you don't want to get knifed in the back. Somebody's climbing the ladder. You know, you don't want to get trampled on. You just have to be careful. You have to be aware of your surroundings all the time. And the longer you live, the more you realize that it's important to have comfort for your soul. It's important to feel that comfort in those times of need. Um, It's a lot more important than achieving great things here in this world or accumulating a bunch of material uh, stuff um, that the, the world wants to give you. And so there's a lot of people that are really at the end of the rope. And that's what Solomon is telling us. He's like, man, I see it all around. Uh, you, you can get into conversations with people and they're just frustrating. It doesn't, you know, it, it's not just non-Christians that feel this way. I've talked to Christians that are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're, yeah, I wish the Lord would just come back. Man, I wish I could just punch out of here. I mean, they're at the end of the rope, you know. And so we have to stop and realize that, you know, that's not, a, not a, uh, an odd thing. We all go there at times. But God has a solution. We'll talk about that for that kind of, of, of situation. But when you think of the, the great people in the Bible, because a lot of times people look at people like that who, who may be at the end of the rope, and we, we think, you know, well, how unspiritual are they? Or, you know, just grow up. Trust the Lord. You know, what, you don't have any faith? You know, and that's how we answer their plea for help. <laughs> a lot, of times. And yet you look throughout the Bible and you see, Great men in the Bible who had major issues. Think about it. You had Elijah, prophet of God. I mean, he did incredible things for the Lord. And yet, God puts that verse in 1 Kings 19.4 that says this, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. Hot. It's hot over there. He had to find some shade. And he asked that he might die. (laughs) I mean, he just had this incredible victory. And yet, here he is, sitting under a tree, asking the Lord, can't I just die? And then God kind of takes off and 
you know, the, the, the tree goes away and, and that whole situation happens. You know, but he says, you know, it's enough now, Lord, just take my life away. For I'm no better than my father's. Or you think of somebody like Jonah, another great man of God, who God gave this incredible charge to. Hey, go to the Ninevites and preach to them that they might repent. And what's he do? He turn, turns tail and run, not because he's afraid of them, but because he doesn't want them to get saved. I mean, that would be like one of us, you know, having an opportunity. God opens up a door to go across the street and, and share with our, our gentleman friend across the street here who's always so pleasant with us most of the time to share the glorious gospel with him. And God opens the door. And I say, are you going to go? No. I don't want to share the Lord with him. He hasn't treated us right. Why would I want him to be saved? That's basically what Jonah did, did he not? And even to the point where God had to say, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of people there that don't even know their left hand from their right. In other words, children... Are you even concerned about them, Jonah? He's like, no, not really. I mean, just cold-hearted. And, you know, in Job, chapter 3, verse 11, Job asks this question, Why did I not die at birth? Come out of the, the womb and expire. Why did my knees receive me? Or why the breasts that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. And I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest. Or why was I not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling. And there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together, he says. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master. In other words, Job is saying, you know what? This looks like a good place to just kind of take that eternal nap. <laughs> I mean, for those of us who like to sleep, right? I mean, can you imagine just sleeping, just continuing, <laughs> just the rest? You know, when that rest is so hard to come by so many times, if you could just rest. You know, sometimes we want that. Well, the Bible says there's going to come a day when God will give us that rest. He'll wipe away our tears. He'll make us whole in his presence. And we have much to look forward to. Isaiah 25, 8 says, he, shall, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away the tears from all the faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Or in Revelation chapter 7, verses 16 and 17, it says, and they shall hunger no more. I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, sometimes it's fun to be hungry, right? Because you get to eat something. But think, they're not going to hunger anymore. They're not going to thirst anymore. It says, the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That sounds good, probably not only for those who are oppressed, but also for those who are the oppressors. 
They have nothing more to deal with. Or Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. They shall, uh, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You know, sometimes I remember earlier in ministry, you'd go to visit people in the nursing home or whatever, and, oh, I just can't wait for that day when I don't have to feel this arthritic pain in my knees and my shoulders. And they'd complain, and I thought, okay, you know, it's, I, I guess I understand. I didn't understand. Now I have arthritis in my thumbs. So every time I move my thumb, I'm in instant pain or play the piano or do anything. And it's like, wow, now I know what they're talking about. And it, you, it makes you long for that day when, wow, you're not going to have any more pain anymore. See, this is, this is what um, Solomon is pointing out to us. He's saying, you know what, in this world we have, we're not, we're not always going to get the comfort we want. There's a lack of comfort all around us. Well, in verse 4, he goes on and he talks about a lack of contentment. A lack of contentment. He says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. He talks about the source of the problem here. What's the source of the problem? You know, we, we've lost our way as far as our work ethic goes, even as Christians. You know, we should be thankful that we have a job. We should be thankful that we get to go to work. We should be thankful that the Lord provides for us something to do, something to toil at here in this world. You know, we're going to be not just sitting in a cloud in heaven, you know, whatever, playing a harp or whatever when we get there. I mean, there's going to be tasks that we're going to be given and we'll have responsibility and, and there'll be a sense of work. I mean, sure, we'll be without the sweat and the toil and the weeds and everything else, but there will be something that we're doing up there. And today, unfortunately, we've lost that sense of blessing in the work that we do. Uh, I talk to a lot of young people who get these mega jobs with these tech companies. You know, they graduate from Stanford or whatever, computer engineering, and they go and they work. And a lot of them you know, so how long have you been in Redwood City? Oh, about 18 months. Oh, what do you do? I work for Amazon. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, real good job and stuff. But I don't know. It's, it's just it's a little too much. It's like, what do you mean? Well, you know, they just expect you to, you know, you just have to work a lot. <laughs> it's like, well, man, I mean, most people would be thankful, you know, but they're not. They're not. And I'm thinking of maybe doing something else. It's well, I don't know. I'll just figure it out. I made so much money. It doesn't really, I don't really need to work right now, so I'm probably going to quit and move to do something else. And it's like, wow. You know, but that's kind of where we've come to. And that's the, the problem here. And those that are toiling are toiling for the wrong reason. They're toiling out of a sense of envy or they're toiling out of a sense of competition with their neighbor. Oh, they bought a Tesla. Oh, I gotta, man, I got to get that Tesla too. Or they got that house. Or I got to get this or I got to get that. And it's, it's kind of become the law of the jungle, you might say, the rat race. You're trying to keep up with the Joneses. It's constant competition and rivalry going on. And so there's never a level that you kind of level off and say, well, now I can just be content. 
And that's a product of our society. I mean, whether you're driving down the freeway looking at billboards or watching a ball game and the commercial comes on, everything is driven to make you feel a sense of not being content. <laughs> they want you to, to want what they're selling. Um, Proverbs 14.30 tells us that envy is rottenness to the bones. Proverbs 14.30, envy is rottenness to the bones. Charles Bridges, in his uh, commentary on Ecclesiastes, made this comment. He says, the better the work, the more the man is hated by those who have no heart to imitate him. The better the work, the more the man is hated by those who have no heart to imitate him. And think about it, that is so true. I mean, I remember working in a warehouse Midnight graveyard shift and picked up the job pretty quick. And, and I was just, you know, I'm just kind of OCD that way. So I'm like getting everything done. And the, the coworkers, hey, you got to stop. You slow down. You're making us look bad. I'm just working, you know. So I kind of became the odd man out. Um, you know, they didn't appreciate that kind of work ethic. And, and sometimes you see that in life. You know, that you're hated because you're either looking at making others look bad or, or they, they don't have the heart, as this guy says, to imitate them. And so the source of the problem is envy. The summary of the problem, in verse 4b here, he says, Then I saw that all the toil and the skill work comes from man's envy of his neighbor. And then he says, This also is vanity and striving after the wind. It's vanity. It's grasping for the wind. Have you ever tried to grab the wind or stop the wind? You can't. What he's saying is we continue to go on and on and on. We're driven by envy. We're driven by jealousy. We're driven by competition. We want more than what we have because someone else has it. But you know what? In the end, Solomon said, and he knew. He knew this from personal experience, right? Remember who he is. He's abundant wealth more than anyone. Incredible wisdom. Everything he ever wanted. And he says, you know what? It's empty. It's, it's, it's vanity. There's so many people who are climbing the ladder to get to the top only to find the, the ladder's leaning against the wrong wall. And they're realizing, wow, what happened? I spent all this time toiling and doing this to get to this point, and now I'm here and I don't want to be here. We also points to the solutions in verses 5 to 6. He says, The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. So he talks about the apathy of the fool here. Um, what he's saying is, he's, I mean, it's kind of a roundabout way of saying, basically, this person does absolutely nothing. He just folds his hands and he ends up just wasting away, is the idea. Someone said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And that's so true. That's so true. There's a lot of people that get so fed up, they just give up. They just stop functioning. Um, God says a lot about work, about the ethic of work. Um, and we should make sure that we understand that from his perspective throughout the Bible. We don't want to assume the apathy of the, of the fool.
Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, it says, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? I mean, I think God's calling you a slug. <laughs> I mean, that's what he's saying. How long are you just going to lie there, you sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber. Here you go again, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber. And want like an armed man. Proverb is speaking to that apathetic attitude that people get beaten down, they get beaten down, they get rejected, they, you know, they, whatever, they, they don't get the job, they don't get the job. Finally, they just say, I'm just going to give up and do nothing. For a Christian, I would call that sinful. For a non Christian, it's apathetic. Or Proverbs 20, verses 30 to 34, he says, I passed by the field of the sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. He's senseless. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. Now, mind you, this is a vineyard. This, this has potential um, profit built into it. And yet, because he's just laying there, he's depressed or he's lazy or whatever might be the case, it's overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. In other words, there was no more protection for the vineyard. So the animals could come in and eat whatever they wanted. Verse 32, Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep. Here's this phrase again. He loves this phrase. A little slumber. A little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a robber and want like an armed man. It says the same thing. And that's what happens. You know, you get into that rut, and then people finally wake up and go, oh my gosh, I don't know what happened. I'm losing my house, I'm losing my car, I, mean, I can't pay my bills. Well, you need to work. You need to apply yourself. Don't become apathetic. And he talks about the attitude of the wise in verse 6. He says, better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and striving after the wind. This is, you know, this is one of contentment, you might say. The wise person is someone who knows how to have a handful of quietness and be content with it. That's the picture he's painting here. In Proverbs chapter 15, verses 16 to 17, <clears throat> he writes, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. That's something we need to put in our memory banks. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord. In other words, it's better to fear the Lord and have a little bit than have a great treasure and not fear the Lord and, and, and be under the troubled hand of his, of his disciplining hand. He says, better is dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox in hatred with it. In other words, it's better to sit down with the fear of the Lord and eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich than go to Fleming's and get a filet <laughs> and have issues. That's really what he's saying. Proverbs 16.8 says, Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. 
See, he's, he's drawing those extremes once again, as he does throughout this, throughout Ecclesiastes and throughout uh, the, the book of Proverbs. It's better to have a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. And our society doesn't understand this. It thinks, hey, just get to the top. Doesn't matter who you hurt or what you, who you crawl over, whatever. Doesn't matter. Or Proverbs 17.1, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. What was the show where the guy, uh, I think it was the, uh, the Blues Brothers, John Belushi, where, where whenever they went into a restaurant, he always ordered what? Do you remember? White toast. That's all he ordered. Didn't matter. Was, he was in one of his friend's fine dining establishments, a French restaurant, and, you know, Ackroyd or, ordered a shrimp cocktail, and he said, I'll just have dry toast. He's like, what? I mean, who likes dry toast? But that's what he's saying here. It's better to eat dry toast with a quiet spirit, with, with just not a lot of chaos, rather than sitting down at a full feast with a bunch of strife. Now, we have a holiday coming up this month, this next month, November, right? Thanksgiving. And we know that Thanksgiving dinners can be incredible. They can be welcoming. They can be warm. And sometimes they can be downright just all-out war within families. And, you know, it happens, it happens all the time. And, you know, sometimes you'll have a big spread of food, and yet, boy, if you're in a contentious family, nothing goes right. And there are people that avoid Thanksgiving dinners like the plague. They go on vacation so they don't have to spend it with the rest of the family eating turkey and whatever. <clears throat> just because it's always such a contentious situation. And so, you, you know, if that's not your situation, be thankful. But for, for many people, it is. It really is. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and what? We can't take anything out. You're not going to take anything, not, not one little thing, not a button, nothing. You know, you're, you're going to come out of here just like you came in, in your birthday suit. And so, what's Solomon saying? He's saying, rather than try to grasp for the wind and experience all this turmoil of someone who's what we would call an overachiever today, somebody who's just always got to be on top no matter what, a lack of contentment has become the norm in our world today. But you don't have to be enslaved to it. Don't, don't, don't go there. Guard yourself against that. There's nothing wrong with working hard and expecting promotions and doing all that. But you know what? There's a lot of, and a lot of times it's men who fall into this trap, who in their mind, hey, I'm doing this for my family. I'm sacrificing now so kids can have college and, and everything. And before they know it, what? All the years have gone by, 
they've spent no time with their kids because they're always working. Their marriage falls apart when the kids leave and go to college anyway because they don't, they don't know who they're married to anymore. Um, and, and they're thinking, what happened? What did I do wrong? And see, that's where a balance has to come in to the equation. You have to stop and say, wait a minute. Are we investing not just in work and in, in, in retirement and all that, but are we, are we investing in the eternal kingdom? Are we investing in, in God's kingdom? So there's a lack of comfort, a lack of contentment. And the last thing, and we'll speak a little bit about this next week too, a lack of companionship. Um, you ladies are going to a retreat. The, t- the subject matter for the retreat will be on friendship. So we're, we'll be talking about friendship next week because that's what he basically talks about here in verses 9 through um, 16 of the end of the, the verse. But here in verses 7 and 8, he talks about companionship. He says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. Not just because there's no comfort, not because there's just no contentment, but there's no companionship. He says, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. He addresses the problems that we have to face when it comes to companionship. The first one is loneliness. Loneliness. Um, One person who has no other. You know, this is probably one of the biggest issues in our society today. People are lonely. And I'm not saying they don't have people around them. I'm saying they don't have companions. They don't have friends. They're lonely people. Uh... And you know what? It's no fun to be alone. And I'm saying that as, as a person who sometimes likes to be alone. But I wouldn't want to be alone forever. I mean, I don't know if you ever watched this guy on the uh, movie, the, the guy in, in Alaska that moved up there and ended up living up there for 20, 30 years by himself. And he, he videoed his own, his own little journey. It's an older guy. He built his cabin from scratch and did all this stuff. It's a very intriguing video. It's usually on public TV. Um, but he was up there all by himself for years on end after his wife died. And, I mean, some of us may say, boy, that looks appealing, right? But I don't know. I mean, after a while, there's nobody to talk to. I mean, you talk to yourself, I guess. We do that already. But, you know, most people, if, pushed and pushed and pushed, would probably say, well, no, I wouldn't want to be <clears throat> completely alone. I think there was a Twilight Zone episode with that, you know, somebody never wanted to be around people, and then finally he was never around people, and he was the only one that survived and almost lost his mind. Um, I mean, they use loneliness as a way of torturing people. They put them in what? Solitary confinement. Okay, you're just not built to not be around other people. And there's a difference between being alone and being lonely. There's a big difference. Um, but, you know, when you stop and think about it, I mean, I think sad is the person who's going to later in life face all the hassles and pressures of life without anyone to care for them. You know, sometimes when we go to the, the um, 
adult living centers and convalescent homes and stuff. And you sit down and you talk to some of these people. And it's like, well, does your family ever come visit you? No. No. Maybe Christmas. I mean, this is their family. They just, they don't have anybody. Nobody. It reminded me of the song by the Beatles, Eleanor Rigby. Love that song. But it really, it's a, it's a depressing song. It's a song about loneliness and depression. And the lyrics say this, all oh, look at all the lonely people. Look at all the lonely people. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? And sometimes it's a good thing to ask yourself that question. You know, I mean, you can be married and be lonely. Um... You know, there's a lot of individuals that live within the confines of marriage, lonely. And so we need to be aware of this. Uh, Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. I mean, I attest to that. I mean, I don't mind being by myself sometimes. Why? Because I can do whatever I want. If I, I want to sit there and, and watch, you know, two hours of cops and eat a bowl of ice cream on the lounge chair, I can do it. And my wife's not there saying, oh, I don't know if you should be eating all that ice cream or, boy, you know, maybe you should do something else other than watch this cop show. Sometimes it's fun to be. Why? Because I can seek my own desire. I can do whatever I want. But. That verse also said he breaks out against all sound judgment. Sometimes when you're by yourself, you do some pretty stupid things because there's nobody there to tell you, you know, you're doing something really stupid right now. You ought to stop it. So you have to be aware of that. Proverbs 27.10, he says, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Isn't that interesting? Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Sometimes we need to readdress our own family issues. <laughs> we don't want to push people away, push people away, push people away, only to grow old and then complain. I wonder why nobody comes to see me. I wonder why nobody's here to help me. That's why it's important to build Christian relationships. It's important to build a sense of community even within the church. There's too many Christians around today that have the attitude, well, I don't need the church. I can sit home and watch some preacher on TV and get just as much, probably a better message, more encouragement. They're missing the whole point of the church. The church isn't to come and hear a message. That's part of it, but it's, it's a part of community. It's being the body of Christ. It's coming together and sharing each other's burdens and, and rejoicing in each other's blessings. It involves burdens. It involves helping each other. It involves helping each other with responsibilities. Having a friendship and building on that friendship is a lot better than being alone or being lonely. 
Well, the, the second thing here is not just loneliness, one of the problems that he addresses, but it's restlessness. Restlessness or dissatisfaction that a lack of companionship brings with it. People who are never satisfied. They're restless. It says there in verse 8, what? There's no end to all his labors. He just can't stop. He can't take a break. Nor is his eye sat ever satisfied with riches. You know, he's alone. He, he works 80-hour weeks, but he just keeps on going. Driving himself into his own godless independence, isolation. Isolation is, is empty according to God's word. There, there's, no, there's nothing there that you're, you're going to gain from that. That's not a good thing. And then thirdly, not just the idea that we're lonely or restless, but he speaks of meaninglessness. <laughs> he says that at, at, at the end of the, the verse. There. He says, why are you doing this? The, the person who drives himself all along, all alone by himself, wonders, wait a minute, who am I doing this for? <laughs> why, why am I doing this? For who am I toiling? Who am I depriving myself of pleasure? And like I said, a lot of people who are the breadwinner in the family like to think, well, I'm doing it for my family. But in the end, the mother, the children, would tell the father, bluntly if they could we would much rather have you than your stuff <laughs> and you see that time and time again in in families that have misplaced priorities psalm 39 6 the psalmist says surely every man walks about like a shadow surely they busy themselves in vain he reaps he heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them <laughs> In other words, okay, you're piling all this money away. You're doing all this stuff for what? I mean, you could be dead tomorrow. We're living in the fast lane. We're living in the rat race of this world. And what he's saying is we don't know why we do this. And it's good sometimes to take a break, to stop and reassess what you do and how you do it and when you do it and who you're spending time with and how much time you're spending with them. You know, it's hard to do that because it's convicting to do that. Because we're never spending enough time with those we love or at our job or whatever. There's always more that we could be doing. So sometimes we just push it away. We don't want to confront it, but it's, it's good to stop once a month and look at your schedule and say, okay, how much time am I really honestly spending where? And is this helping me? Yeah, it may help me get the next promotion, but is it helping me? Is it helping me spiritually? Uh, a lot of times, people will get a promotion dangled in front of them. And sometimes, as elders, we have the privilege of counseling with them they'll come and they'll say hey what do you think about this you know i got this offer and here's where it's at and and sometimes i mean it's like black and white it's like if you take this this is going to be a disaster 
you know, they're going to be traveling all the time. They're going to, you know, they're going to be time for the kids. But, you know, it's more money and it's a better job and it means we have a bigger house. But, but it's, it's, that's not what you're about. And usually they'll finally realize that after the newness wears off. And so we just have to be awakened sometimes to those things. So he talks about these problems and then he, he basically gives us some points that we can learn here. He said at the end there, verse 8, he says, This also is vanity in an unhappy business. Or uh, one translation, New King James, I think it is, says a grave misfortune. So he says, if you're going to live a life like this, it, it lacks meaning. It lacks meaning. If you're just going to be chasing the next thing that's on the horizon, it's, it's empty. And Solomon would know. He's had everything. It's like grasping at the wind. What are we trying to really achieve? Do you have a life plan? Do you have, do you have a goal? And I don't mean just for your job. I mean spiritually for you as a family, as your marriage and your kids. I mean, are you saying, hey, here's how we're going to invest ourselves in the Lord's work. That's what's going to last. He says such a life brings not just that it lacks meaning, but it brings misery. He calls it an unhappy business in the ESV. It's not something that we have that you're going to desire, that you're going to look at down the road and go, wow, I'm so glad I did this. No, you're going to be going, well, what was I thinking? I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. You know, we know that song, uh, Cats in the Cradle, that song. I mean, touching song, but it's so real, right? I mean... You know, the dad just never has time for the kid, and then the kid grows up, and then he never has time for his dad. It's a sad commentary on life, but it happens so many times. And you say, well, what's the answer to this? Well, I like what Jerome, the theologian, he was the guy who translated the original translation from Greek to, uh, into Latin, the Latin Vulgate, in the 4th century. And his answer, when someone said, well, what's the answer to this? What's missing? He says, what is missing is Jesus. I mean, sometimes the answer is so obvious, it's right in front of us, right? What is missing is Jesus. I mean, people have a lack of comfort because they lack the comforter. They lack Christ. I mean, it was him who said what? I'll always be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He sends us the Holy Spirit that is called the Comforter. And that lack of companionship and contentment is taken care of when we're in that, in that perfectly continuing relationship with Him. That relationship that never will end. That relationship that goes on for all eternity with Christ. When you, when you think of what Christ has, what God has given to us in Christ, I mean, I think of a couple uh, verses in Psalm, Psalm 23, verse 1. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, what? I shall not want. 
Right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. What's he do? He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. And you know what? Even though I go through some very dark time, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, I'm not going to fear any evil. Why? Because God is with me. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they what? They comfort me. That's where the comfort comes in. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the kind of relationship you have with God when you come to him through Christ. And that's where that, that contentment is finally, you're content in Christ. That's what, that's what Paul said. I, I, I want to be content in Christ. And he had lots of opportunities. He had a lot of stuff. And he said, you know what? I'm going to throw all that out just to be in Christ. And then we have the companionship that he gives us. Christ, who's known in the scriptures as what? A friend to sinners? Um, someone who loves you even though he knows what you're like? You know, it's one thing to love somebody, but it's another thing to love them when you really know them. Um, Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who what? Sticks closer than a brother. Sticks closer than a brother. You know, that companionship, there's that friend that sticks closer. That's Christ. He's the friend the Bible calls the friend of sinner. He's a friend of all friends. We sing to him, what a friend, right? We have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Where we sing, Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. Or the little chorus, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like a fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. Father, we thank you for our study tonight. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to have a sense of comfort in Christ. That you would allow us to see your, your guiding hand, leading and guiding, protecting us each and every day. That we wouldn't be chasing things after the wind. That we would not only be comforted in Christ, but we would have that contentment. That even though we may not have a lot, even though we, we may not be grabbing all that this life has to offer, that we're investing eternally for your glory. And Father, we thank you for your companionship with us as your children. Lord, you've given... God, you've given your, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on our behalf to, to live, to die, to be resurrected so that our sins could be paid for. That, Father, you could point to us and declare us righteous even though we're not. And we can sense the righteousness of Christ in our life.
because of what he did for us. And Father, I just pray for each heart here, Lord. I know sometimes we get off track as believers. Sometimes we, we chase things we shouldn't chase. And Lord, we just pray that you would realign our hearts with your word, that we would live lives each and every day uh, that are not just filled with comfort and contentment, but also that ongoing companionship, that friendship that we have with you. And as we spend time in your word and in prayer and build a sense of community here at Grace Bible Church with one another, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to do your work in our lives, getting us ready for that day when you return. Now we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we long for that day. We thank you. And we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.